Uh, welcome back to DevCast. And uh, this week I have a very special guest from San Francisco, directly from San, San Francisco. And that's the CEO of Mongo Lab, William Schulman. Welcome. William. Hi, how are you? Is it okay to say Will? Uh, yeah, actually, most people call me Will. Yeah, I see that on your on on the MongoDB MongoDB MongoLab the uh, page that you say Will, not William. So yeah, yeah. So very thank you that you had the time to to talk with me because I'm really interested about the new kind of databases. You know, uh, Will, I'm a very old guy. Uh, I'm over forty, <laughs> so I have when I talk when I think databases, I always think relation databases, you know, SQL Server, uh, MySQL, and so on. But in the last 10 years, uh, a new kind of databases, many different kinds of yes. databases has arrived. Or, and you said, say on your, on your homepage that if MongoDB has, had existed 10 years ago, the vast majority of data used to drive modern web applications should be stored in MongoDB and not in relation databases. I did say that, yes. Yeah. So, so I think you're the perfect person to explain for me the change. What, what, have, what have happened the last 10 years that we don't think relation databases automatically? Sure, sure, sure. Well, I think, you know, I, I agree with what, you, what you're saying in general. There's been almost a renaissance of new database technologies recently. And, you know, unfortunately, they tend to be labeled, you know, NoSQL, which I find unfortunate because they're, they're so different that to, to kind of lump them together, people think that uh, because they're labeled by this one category that they're the same, and they're not. They're very different. You have things from um, very... Very scalable, but very um, very simple key value stores. Um, you have uh, graph databases like Neo4j, uh, which which are its own world. Uh, then you've got uh, document databases like CouchDB and MongoDB. Um, I think MongoDB. Uh, well, actually, let me take a step back. I think most of these databases kind of came onto the came onto the scene, you know, under the banner of of better scalability than the relational database. And, and, and most of these NoSQL database technologies um, do achieve that. Um, but I think what's interesting about MongoDB um, is, that, and, and I think the reason why people really love it, um, is because it's a, a JSON object store. And they call it a document store. Um, I, you know, document store, object store, you'll, you'll hear those interchangeably. Um, and uh, but document store does not mean you know it stores PDF documents. It's these little JSON documents, or it's a binary representation of them. Um, and so I think the reason people are really loving MongoDB, and the reason why I, I said what I said um, about you know if, if MongoDB had existed ten years ago, I think predominantly uh, you know most of the you know web apps out there, both you know either consumer or or, or enterprise or mobile or, or, or web. Uh, would have most of their data stored in Mongo. And the reason I said that is because um, of the data structure that MongoDB gives developers, even more than the scaling story, which you know, I, I could talk about certainly. But the, the data structure is, is an object structure with you know, very similar to the objects you have in code. So if you think about the evolution of programming languages over the last 
you know, a couple decades, you know, everyone, everyone's really moved to an object oriented programming language of some yeah, sort. Yeah, we have we have always tried also to do an uh, object uh, relation database, but that's... yes, well, that's exactly that's what I was about to get to, which is that you know, I, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a programmer, you know, by trade, and, and I I know that I've spent at least a decade of my life uh, writing code that changes the shape of data from the object form to the relational form and back and forth and back and forth, you know, because they're because they're laid out differently and because the data structure is fundamentally different between tables and objects, people have spent an inordinate amount of time writing code to translate between those two shapes. And, and there was even a whole kind of middleware industry called object relational mappers, you know, that existed in every programming language to, to map, you know, whether it's Java to, to table structure or it's, you know, C sharp or it's Python or it's, or it's Ruby, you know, with active record. And really, I think the thing that people love about MongoDB, um, and what I certainly uh, loved about MongoDB was, was that you don't have to do any of that. Um, and especially in a world where server-side development is becoming largely about building APIs and predominantly JSON-based APIs these days over, uh, over XML, um, you know, you can imagine a world where you're writing an application, you're writing a server-side component of an application, and your job is to take JSON and take it from the wire put it into the database or take it from the database and, and put it out over the API. You can imagine how, how simplifying it is to have your data stored as JSON. Um, and if you're using an object-oriented programming language, which you probably are, um, the whole thing becomes very, very uh, productive, very, very easy to express yourself. You don't have a lot of layers of, 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 of transformations and, and things like that. And so... Um, people are really loving MongoDB because it's really easy to build uh, modern web apps or modern mobile apps, whether you're building an API or you're building something where you're using you know, a templating language to render HTML to a browser. Um, it's really uh, the object structure and the data structure, I think, that's made it so so popular. And that, that's, for me, this is a... a... Uh, rather, um, uh, what I, I I can't get uh, the English name, but but if I, if you understand, when I <laughs> when I start a SQL Server, I start a, a service and I start a, a whole big um, engine. But uh, yeah. when I when I tried MongoDB the first time and I just had to write uh, to write one command line in the command tools MongoD and it was starting and it it was too simple for me. <laughs> I, I didn't. It, this is not the real database. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's interesting. It, it's it, it it can get more complicated. You can you know you get into MongoDB has various clustering technologies that are that are very interesting and part of uh, what make it a really uh, what I call modern database is because unlike a lot of the SQL solutions, it has the idea of high availability based clustering and horizontal scaling based clustering built into it. Now, so I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've played with replica sets or shard clusters yet. I have more, so, uh, I have read about them, but no, I, I haven't used them. So. Okay, great. I will probably talk about more about enterprise features uh, later on in this podcast. We can jump over that for now. Sure, sure. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, this is interesting. When when I talk with the uh, with the uh, uh, the new SQL guys, for example, Neo4j, you know that the Swedish database. So it's, yes, uh, yeah. Yes, sure. And I have met them, Absolutely. and they say everything can be stored with Neo4j. 
uh, it's the best uh, database with the best uh, performance. And now you say the same with MongoDB. And of course, in, at Microsoft, <laughs> you say the same with Microsoft SQL Server. So how should, who, who should I trust? You know, I, I, think, <sighs> I think this is a classic uh, data representation and language thing, right? And, and really, I think it depends on what you're trying to do. Certainly, the way you define, you know, as a programmer, you know, you learn about data structures and you learn about algorithms, but you also quickly learn that um, your choice of data structure, and your, your choice of how to define the things in the universe your code is going to operate on really determines, you know, uh, the entire programming model you're going to use. It determines uh, how easy it is going to be to do certain operations or express certain things. So, for example, I, I'm a fan of Neo4j. For, if, you're doing, if you're doing interesting uh, you know, graph algorithms. So social networking is, is one example where uh, a graph database is really interesting because the graph database knows how to answer questions like, um, you know, find me all the paths between, you know, this person and that person or, you know, things that, are, that, that involve graph traversal that might be more complicated to, to build in a, in a different type of data store. It's certainly possible to do with a different data store. And I think that's the main point. Like you can represent anything as anything, like if cer certainly you can repre every represent everything as graphs. Certainly you can represent everything as relations. Certainly you re can represent everything as a connected, you know, network of objects. Um, certainly you can represent everything as binary. Uh, it all depends on what is the most natural way to express your ideas for what you're trying to do. Um, and so, uh, you know, I know it's cliche, but you know, it's the best tool for the job. Um, MongoDB is really good at storing, uh, you know, object networks. And so if you're thinking about how you're modeling your, your, your users or your accounts or, you know, maybe a content management system for your, for your web application, which is, you know, comprised of objects with fields that have values, but they can be nested. So you might have arrays, you might have nested objects, you might have pointers to other objects. Um, MongoDB is really great at that. Relational databases are really good when you need relational algebra. And relational algebra is really great at doing, um, you know, arithmetic or calculations on, you know, on sets of, of, of objects. So, for example, to be, to be able to multiply tables together, what's called a, a Cartesian product or a join. You know, so set-wise, find all the combinations of uh, set A crossed with set B. That's something that uh, you need relational algebra for, and, and there's certain types of problem domains where that's, well, that's the type of computation you need to do. Um, and so, you know, it really depends on what you're trying to do. And that's what I think is cool about this database renaissance is that it, it's, it's giving the developer more choices in how to, you know, represent their data and, and how to ask questions of their data set um, so that they can be, do a better job at the use case, you know, at hand, you know. So I, I welcome the whole idea of polyglot persistence, which is the idea you might have many databases in your application, each to serve different, different, different parts of your system. Yeah, we are yeah. talking, uh, we are talking yeah. much about that uh, at Microsoft right now with the polyglot. So, yeah. oh, I have a very strange uh, feedback from you. Ah, no, oh. I, I hear my voice twice. It's, oh, okay. it's enough to hear it once. So. I, will, I will lower my volume. <laughs> uh, if we should talk more about MongoDB, could you please tell me a bit about the story behind it? Um, well, MongoDB started, and I don't know all of the specifics, but I'll tell you what I do know, which is that um, it was started by uh, 
two guys, uh, Dwight Merriman and uh, and Elliot Horowitz, in the uh, garage. <laughs> in the garage. <laughs> uh, it's a New York-based startup, um, and uh, Dwight was the CTO of DoubleClick, um, which was a big company um, back in the kind of the early days of the internet. Um, that I believe eventually found its way to Google. And um, so very successful. I, I, he met Elliot there as well. They, they went on to start a company called Tengen. And I think at first, Tengen was both a, the vision was both a database and an application server uh, based on JavaScript. And uh, I think very quickly, they they found uh, the need or the desire to focus on the database side. I think that's where most of the interest was. Um, and this was, I think, I'm probably going to botch this. I feel like it was around 2007 when this started to all happen. Um, and MongoDB got popular pretty quickly. Uh, you know, it's an open source project. Um, and uh, I think they did an amazing job of building... Um, community over there. Uh, they, they got lucky to have someone uh, who's pretty young, uh, but, but really just had a knack for developer marketing um, and just knew how, to, knew how to spread, had an open source kind of grassroots movement. Uh, they had um, really good documentation, really good forums very early on, made it very easy to learn MongoDB. Um, we're just very good at, at disseminating the, the education and the, and the know-how and uh, very active on, you know, user groups and things like that, very responsive to user feedback. And so they really very quickly got a lot of people who just fell in love with the technology. Um, and, you know, just year over year, I think really 2010, 11, maybe 2011 was when it really started to, to take off. Um, and now, you know, if you look at most startups, I think most startups uh, will use MongoDB for at least one, a part of their application. And, and not that startups are doing anything differently than enterprises are doing per se, uh, or, or more traditional companies, but they just tend to be more experimental with new technologies. And so um, you tend to see the adoption there more. Um, my, my experience is uh, that the startups here in Sweden use MySQL before MongoDB, but I think that's because they are uh, more, um, they like more the, anyway, the SQL database thing and so on, so. Yeah, and I think mm. that, um, you know, it's very, you know, people like to use what they know, and so it's, it's, it's very understandable, and there are a lot of situations where the SQL database is exactly what you want. Um, if you need kind of multi-step transactions, for example, you know, saying things like you know, insert, insert, delete, 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 oh, wait, roll that all back, or oh, wait, commit that all forward. Um, it's definitely something where you want to use a relational database if you, if you need something like that, or if you need to do, if you really need to do uh, complex relational algebra. See, it's interesting, there's a spectrum with all these databases of uh, kind of how expressive their query language is. So Mongo actually is you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'd say the closest to a relational database than any of the other NoSQL uh, okay. solutions in that it has a query language that lets you search and sort by any field, even nested fields and objects. 
And is this, is this a, uh, the, the, it was my next uh, ne- next question about how the how do you interact with the MongoDB database? Uh, so the, it's a it's a query language, not just um, some uh, in JavaScript. You you uh, present the query. You have a special query language. That's right. And there's a special query language that I would say is um, not quite as you know just mathematically not quite as expressive as relational algebra because MongoDB. One of the things MongoDB does to achieve its uh, scaling story is is it doesn't have the concept of joins. However, um, it does have the concept of you know filtering by you know attributes and 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 being able to construct filters out of booleans you know ands ors nots. Uh, things like that. It has the ability to sort. Um, and like a relational database, it can do that on any any field or any combination of fields, but if you you know need to make it faster, you add indexes. And the concept of indexes in MongoDB are pretty much the same as what they are in the relational world, or very similar. Um, and uh, and so that that kind of interaction of um, you know you can insert, update, delete, and then you can query, and the query has these filters, and the filters are described in a query language. And actually, it happens that the query language for MongoDB is in JSON as well. The syntax is JSON, which is actually kind of nice, I think. Um, although some people, uh, you know, uh, prefer more English-like language, I think the JSON is is actually uh, a very nice way to represent things. And so, regardless, though, it's 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 a very expressive query language, you know, compared to let's say maybe a a simpler key value store um, where you primarily you might look things up by a primary index by ID you might get a secondary index um, but you're not necessarily doing any uh, you know uh, kind of ad hoc querying and and Mongo also more recently has this aggregation framework that lets you do things like grouping and binning and and, and aggregations uh, kind of like group buys and havings in, in from the SQL world uh, to let you do some basic analytics. If we uh, we should take a very very simple data structure and you explain for me how this will be implemented in Mongo. For example, okay. we have uh, movies and actors. Okay. Uh, so of course you have one document for each movie. Mm-hmm. Is it so? And how do you explain how which actors are in that movie? Is it the, do they yeah. have their own objects for each actor, or is it included in the movie? Uh, great, great question. Um, so MongoDB, uh, MongoDB, because you can nest objects inside other objects, you can do some very denormalized things that you might not do with a relational database. You can also normalize things like you would with a relational database. In this particular case, um, I would probably, uh, you know, say that you would have two collections. Collect- a collection is, is just the term for a table in MongoDB speak, but I'd probably have a movies collection and an actors collection and have, um, you know, you have a few ways to go. You could, you could have uh, each movie object has an array of, of pointers or references. You can reference other things, so references to, to actors. Um, you could also model it where you have actors have uh, inside of them uh, a list of movies that they're a part of. And then if you wanted to get all of the, Actors for a movie, you would just query the actors collection, um, you know, where movie ID is, let's say, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, so that's one way you could go. Um, you could nest the actor names as, you know, and, and, and information inside the movies, 
or, you know, or the other way around. I think probably in this particular case, that wouldn't be the best idea because it would be, it would make it hard to, to update some of that information. Um, and so if you had to go update, well, movies update less than, than, uh, than actors might, actor information might update more frequently. You wouldn't want to have to update every movie object that they're in just to update their actor object. So I think in this case, I would do a more normalized, uh, data model with either movies pointing to actors or actors pointing to movies. Um, what would determine which would probably be similar to a SQL analysis, you know, what your query patterns look like. Uh, so every document has uh, uh, an identifier. Is it uh, just a string or is it a number or what is it? It can be anything you like. Um, and it does not have to be the same uh, for every object in the table or every object in the collection, although um, frequently it would be because you, you probably want it to be for other reasons, but the database doesn't enforce that. Um, there is a special value type called an object ID in Mongo where if you don't specify the underscore ID with your own value before you insert things, it will generate one for you. And it's, uh, it's like a unique identifier, global unique identifier that um, is, is monotonically increasing. So it, so it grows uh, as time moves forward. Um, a lot of people will use that. They're just dumb UIDs. Uh, but you can also set the ID to the string hello or the number five or whatever you like. Okay. And you can, of course, enforce that they should be unique and so on for, for yes. a collection. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm. Uh, how large can a single MongoDB be? Uh, is it any restriction on that? A single object can be... A single uh, object, a single MongoDB, Mongo database file, if I should say so, song, a single MongoDB. Oh, I see, I uh, see. Do you have uh, that? Uh, maybe you don't even understand that question because you don't have that uh, restriction. I mean, yeah, there really isn't too much of a restriction. Uh, you know, for a single MongoD instance, well, the way it lays out the data is there's, there's more than one data file. There's, there's a set of data files. So as your database grows, more, more files on the file system are created to hold that data. Um, so, you know, for a single node, you're more limited by the hardware you're on. You know, how many, either how much disk you have or how many file descriptors you, know, you, can, you can have open. Um, but MongoDB also has a horizontal scaling technology called sharding, which allows you to cluster nodes together in a way that lets you uh, scale way past what you could do on a, on a single node. Uh, how, how do I install uh, MongoDB on, on um, you talked about how hardware, is it good to have several disks with uh, the files on, on, um, uh, on, the, on them all or is it just, does, does this uh, enhance the performance or, or how should I think when I uh, install the MongoDB on, on, on uh, a Windows box or a Linux box? Okay, good question. Um... You should probably think about, if you're familiar with thinking about this stuff for a relational database, it's, it's going to be very similar, um, very similar concepts. You know, IO is definitely, just like most databases, IO is definitely, um, you know, the bottleneck in these systems. So, you know, ideally, when you're sizing out uh, your hardware, you, number one, you'd like to be able to keep as much of your data in RAM as possible. Now, that's clearly not possible for larger data sets to have everything in RAM. So the rule of thumb is you'd like to be able to at least keep 
the indexes of your working set in RAM. And, and what working set means is just the the subset of the data set that you're you're accessing, you know, most frequently or accessing in any given period of time. So you imagine like, you know, you might have a 10 terabyte data set, but you might only, you know, be accessing maybe maybe it's you know housing listings for uh, for 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 sale and people really only look at the last couple months, even though you might keep data for the last 10 years. And so you want to keep the indexes of your work. Ideally, you'd like to keep the whole working set in memory. If you can't, if you can't do that, keep at least the indexes in, mem- in memory so they can be traversed quickly. Um, and is, then, is this then uh, automatically for me, or do I need to specify that? It's done automatically in the sense that MongoDB uses the operating system's memory map file system, so it will naturally cache in, in physical RAM the most frequently accessed pages from disk. Um, but of course there's a, there's a limit to how much RAM you have on the box. And so the ratio of RAM to disk, um, is going to be a big driver to performance or the, or the ratio of RAM to, to how much data you're storing. So you might have a, you might have a hundred gigabyte database. You might only have 10 gigs of RAM. Um, so that would be like a 10 to one ratio. Um, so the more, more RAM, the better. Um, but you know, there are practical limitations. So you'd like to ideally both, you know, keep as much RAM as possible, but then obviously when you need to go to disk and you page fault, you want that to be as painless as possible, and that's where faster disks come in. So whatever you can do to make your I.O. system faster, it might be it might be going to SSDs, which is really the probably the smart option these days. Um, it might involve rating uh, or striping to, to improve uh, I.O. performance on a, maybe a set of disks. Um, MongoDB also, uh, you know, uh, has uh, a journal. And so, you know, depending on your system uh, and depending on how you're using the database, it might make sense to have the journal on a different spindle. Is the journal all... uh, like the transaction login? In the... Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So basically, it's all about it's all about I.O. really at the end of the day for the most part. Uh, some of the more uh, advanced enterprise features uh, that um, many of us uh, like when we use uh, SQL Server and so on is, for example, you said transactions, and I was thinking about security and such things. Are they included in MongoDB? Yeah, so MongoDB, they definitely have single object transactions um, in the sense that you can atomically test and set or modify uh, fields in an object. But across objects, it's not atomic. Um, security, SSL is, is something that's supported in MongoDB. Um, so you can... Um, but do you, you have can... users in, in MongoDB? Oh, yes, yes. So, uh, yes, absolutely. Databases have users. Users have permissions. You have to authenticate to the database from the, from the client in order, to, in order to talk to it. Um, uh, and then, actually, there's enterprise versions of Mongo that have... Kerberos integration uh, and things like that um, uh, for authentication, so you don't necessarily have to store the users in the in the database itself. Um, and uh, it actually has a pluggable module for you to define kind of external authentication mechanisms. Um, and then there is the and there, then there's the encryption the, the or the on the wire protocol the SSL. 
Uh, you talked uh, earlier about charding and horizontal charding, and uh, the discussion now is more about replication and high availability and such uh-huh. things. So how is that done in MongoDB? So, yes, there's two types of clustering technologies, and, and one is called uh, a replica set, and which is as correctly as you state for high availability. So. Uh, instead of a single MongoD instance, you have, let's say, three of them, for example, or two or three. Um, and uh, if the, and, and basically the way Mongo works is it's a, it's a single primary, or at least in a replica set, it's a single primary that you, that you write to, and those writes asynchronously replicate to any number of secondaries. You can have any number you want. Uh, well, actually, I think the limit is 12. Um, and those secondaries kind of read from this operation log that, uh, that allows it to apply whatever has been applied to the primary, applied to the secondary. Um, if the primary goes down um, or is unreachable, the system can elect a new or will elect a new primary, usually will elect a new primary, um, to take its place as a failover mechanism. And so that's, the, that's how high availability works. So, for example, the way we will at MongoLab deploy replica sets is, you know, let's say it's on, uh, on Azure, uh, it will be each, each node is in a different fault zone. So, you know, the nodes are in an availability set for those of you who are familiar with, uh, availability sets on Azure. Uh, so each node would be, um, in a separate zone or separate fault, uh, area. Um, and so if, if one were to go down, the system would fail over to one of the other ones. Um, and the failover process, you know, it can take anywhere from, from a few, you know, two to thirty seconds, depending on on the situation, um, and then the application just keeps going, um, and so it's uh, really easy with Mongo to build high availability into the into the database tier. The last feature I want to ask you about before we talk about your uh, company, Mongo Lab, is uh, the backup features. How is that in MongoDB? Which features did you say? Uh, Sorry. Backup, backup and restore. Ah, ah. ah, so yes, um, so there are lots of ways to do backup with MongoDB. Um, there are some simple utilities for smaller data sets. Uh, you can use MongoDump and MongoRestore, um, uh, which are ways of doing binary imports and exports of the data. Uh, and those are useful because they're portable. Um, on much larger data sets, some folks will use uh, incremental snapshotting technologies. Uh, we use we use such, such technologies in the cloud, um, but you could use things like LVM snapshots, or if you're on AWS, you can use EBS snapshots if you're storing your data on EBS. And those are great because they're incremental, so they they only they only kind of store the deltas, so to speak. Um, or you know, on actually Azure, it's kind of an append-only file system where uh, uh, it's very very fast. Actually, on Azure. I'd say has, out of all the clouds, I've seen the fastest snapshotting technology because all that has to be copied over are kind of the the right pointers to the right to the right pages and uh, on the file system, and so it's very very efficient. Uh, and and those are those are some of the more popular things in the cloud. There's also a solution from MongoDB Inc., which is um, uh, an op log tailing backup service that can give you point in time restore. Uh, which is also very interesting, um, and uh, that's part of uh, MongoDB's MMS. 
So there's, there's lots of stuff out there, um, and, and it really depends on what you're trying to do, uh, the purpose of the backups, whether it's for migrating data or long-term archival or, or, or whatnot. Okay. Thank you, Will. Uh, but now about your company and the vision with that company, MongoDB as a service. Mm-hmm. How yes. come? Well, <sighs> Everything is as a service now. Yeah, you know, it's, it's all part of the idea that, that developers hate ops. Um, database ops are particularly difficult. You know, uh, you're going to run out of disk. Uh, are you doing backups? How are the backups being done? Is it, uh, do they restore um, the data replication, you know, distributing nodes uh, across multiple fault zones and, and, and then as they go down, you know, bringing them back? Um, all the monitoring and alerting. Um, that that typically goes into kind of a, a production database system, um, and, and linking all that together and, and providing web-based tools, and then support that goes along with that is all part of the idea of you know you know MongoDB is a service offering that we have. Um, we consider it a fully managed offering, um, and we run on um, lots of cloud providers, but but more recently we we started to run on Windows Azure. Um, and actually, uh, it's been a great experience, uh, uh, you know, getting closer with the .NET community um, and reaching that, those, those types of developers, uh, some more enterprise developers. Um, and, uh, and, so, and so, yeah, so uh, we're, we're happy with that. Uh, and how, how if I if I should use your service MongoDB as a service in Azure, for example, we have we have the the store where you can uh, go to and see that you are listed there, MongoLab, and you can get uh, yeah. a, a free uh, for five hundred. Uh, is it five hundred megabyte free MongoDB? Yes. you can test. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah, but, there's a few there's a few ways to there's a few ways to use us. You can use us both through the Azure store and through MongoLab.com. Uh, both work. Um, and uh, there's a free tier where you can get half a half a, a gigabyte for free. The the store offering is is actually only available in the U.S. Um, and so uh, for the European data centers, uh, if you want to deploy your your, your database there, you, you'd want to go through MongoLab.com. Um, I'm, I'm sure at some point the store will uh, will you know offer Europe in the store as well. Um, but yeah, there's lots of different plans. We have the, the free sandbox, which is a multi-tenanted, you know, it's, just, it's really for development. It's single node. Then we have some um, smaller multi-tenanted replica set plans where you're sharing VMs with other people, but you have your own, you, know, you have your own Mongo instance. Um, and then we have the dedicated plans, which go from, you know, the smaller VMs on Azure, like, uh, I think like the A1 or A2, the ones with 1.7 gigs of RAM, all the way up to the the uh, the A7, which has uh, 56 gigs of RAM and lots of storage. And uh, yeah, so so if I I want to um, buy a dedicated server from you, and uh, my other part of my my application is run, for example, in the data center Northern Europe. It's the, the nearest for me here. Uh, yeah. How is this installed, and how do I communicate with yours uh, with your service then? Great is, question. Mm. Yeah. So what you do is when you provision the cluster, you you you'd select which data center it's in. So you definitely want it in the same data center as your application servers because you want the lowest latency connection and 
And also for security, you know, um, you know, being in the same data center on, on Azure, you know, Azure's, uh, you know, hypervisor system, you know, it doesn't allow for packet sniffing. So, uh, you know, you want to keep your traffic all within Azure on this, in the same region uh, for that and for the performance. And then you connect to MongoDB through a driver, just similar to with SQL Server. Um, and there's a driver in every language maintained by MongoDB. Um, and so, there's a, for example, there's a .NET driver. And the driver is just, you know, a library that allows you to, to do uh, the basic connection and, and CRUD and then querying and, and, and all that type of stuff uh, very easily. And uh, you basically create the database on MongoLab. And then after you create the database, we give you a connection string, which is what you plug into the driver to tell the driver how to connect. And the connection string is basically an elaborated, you know, URL with host and port and other interesting information, credential information for your, for your connection and other options you might specify. Um, and it's really simple. And you install them on, on of course, on, on virtual machines. Do you install them on, on Windows machines or Linux machines? They, Linux only, um, although it shouldn't really matter to the end developer because you don't have access to these mm. machines. You can't, like, you can't, you know, you can't get onto these machines. So what we'll do is we, we automate the entire provisioning process, which is, you know, you know with the availability sets, everything. So we, you know, we'll create a cloud service, <coughs> spin up, multiple VMs, there might be three, three VMs for the cluster you might spin up, then they will be connected all together, they'll be put behind the load balancer, they will, will you know, will poke all the appropriate holes in the, in the, in the firewall, uh, we will, um, you know, you know, format all the disks, like everything you'd have to do, which is a lot, like if you had to do it by hand, it would take you forever, um, and, uh, you know, or even using the UI. Uh, and so it, it's, it's really convenient. It's very automated. Um, and then, you know, you can spin them up, you can spin them down. So if you, you know, let's say you wanted to test out, uh, do a performance test on some big expensive Azure cluster, uh, or, you know, cluster based on big expensive Azure VMs, you know, you can spin it up for one day and then turn it back down. Um, and, and, you know, it's just impressive. It's at a click of a button. It, it's magic. You, you don't do anything. Um, and so it really is the easiest way to, to, to run and, and manage Mongo. Uh, so I manage my um, MongoDB database that are in Azure. I manage them uh, still on your site, in your uh, user interface. That's right. Even when you... Um, even when you... Uh, so all monitoring or, or alerts or something is on in your uh, on your yeah. website not on, yeah. on azure mm. yeah even when you use even when you provision through the azure store you quickly single sign on to MongoLab. okay thank you very much will it was really interesting to to learn more about mongodb and uh, i really like mongodb it's easy and i as you said I, I really like the 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 document format and of course i like when this json and i don't need to to convert so much from the relation yes. model to the object oriented model and so on yes so, and yes. i especially like uh, node.js also so i have some demonstration where i use node.js and, and mongo so right. it's really nice uh, the last question will um where should I learn more if I'm interested as a, as a .NET developer to, to MongoDB? How should I start? Oh, well, actually, um, we have, uh, if you, there's a few ways. You know, on our website, Mongo, or docs.mongolab.com, we have a language center 
and then a .NET uh, part of that. Also, if you go to mongodb.org, uh, they've got in their documentation subsections on every language. And then if you go into .NET or C Sharp, you can find uh, tons of good information there. And then, of course, there's you know search engines like Bing where you can uh, just you know ask a question and presto, you, you get your answer. <laughs> there's lots of stack. Stack Overflow is a great resource. Do, uh, do, uh, do we have any official drivers for C Sharp and .NET? Yes. Or is yeah, is it written by Microsoft or? Nope, it's written by MongoDB okay. and maintained and supported by them. And so it's it's very high, you know, it's very high quality. It's not some third party thing. The creators of the database, actually, every major programming language they 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 maintain the drivers for. So uh, C Sharp. Uh, Java, Ruby, Python, Node.js, um, all, you know, I'm probably forgetting something, PHP, all of them, uh, they do a good job. Thank you very much, Will. I really appreciate it that you took your time. Yeah, I appreciate today. the time too. Enjoy talking with you as well. Yeah, so hope you have a really nice day in San Francisco. Here it's evening in Sweden. So yeah, thank well, you very much. The fog, the fog is, is slowly burning off. So. Okay, yeah. thank you. <laughs> Take care. Bye.